0: Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This current series of messages is on the Book of Acts, showing its relevance for today as a pattern book for the operation of the Holy Spirit through the Church. Be sure also to get a copy of Kevin's commentary on the Book of Acts. Visit KevinConner.org for details. Uh, Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17 really. And uh, we'll just make some comments on each of these places, a couple of main things I want to share with you tonight. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And we've touched on this matter where to the Jew first. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them not out of his head, but out of the Scriptures. So we've seen in previous sessions that Paul's whole uh, principle was to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So three Sabbath days, uh, I think the number three in the mouth of two or three witnesses, three Sabbath days, reasoning with the mouth of the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, uh, and you'll notice in verse 3, opening and alleging, I think it's the Amplified that sort of brings it this way, that he took the historical facts, Of the lord jesus christ jesus of nazareth and he took the scriptures and as he took the list of scriptures as it were and went through the old testament scriptures the prophets the messianic prophecies that that the uh, synagogues and the jewish rabbis and pharisees they had a whole list of the uh, messianic scriptures that when messiah comes uh, this is what's going to happen to messiah and so as he compared uh, the Old Testament scriptures and the historical fulfilment on the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, opening and alleging, and that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Um, I can't, uh, again, get sidetracked on this too much, but in the time of Jesus, there was some school of Pharisees and some school of the, the uh, scribes that had... Um, They had two messiahs because when they studied the Old Testament scriptures they saw that there was a group of scriptures concerning uh, a messiah that was going to suffer and uh, be crucified and be rejected of men but they also saw another stream of scriptures that there was going to be a messiah that was going to reign over the nations of the earth, rule the uh, nations with a rod of iron, be a victorious king. And so there was one school that had great difficulty in reconciling, Say, well, how can this be one and the same Messiah? So in the time of Christ, uh, they actually ended up that there were two Messiahs, a suffering Messiah and then a reigning Messiah. And so when Jesus came, those who accepted him as the Messiah, uh, some of them had this concept, well, he must be the suffering Messiah. He's been crucified, buried, uh, but that's it. He cannot be the reigning Messiah. We must look for another Messiah. And the type of Messiah they were looking for was a Messiah that would come and blast the Roman armies out of Jerusalem and uh, they would become the head of the nations a very uh, political, nationalistic uh, type of uh, concept uh, uh, the messianic concept wise so Jesus just destroyed all that concept so they sort of had two messiahs so this language sort of hints at that in a, in a sense really opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered because it's the suffering messiah but Jesus is not only the suffering messiah he's now the risen messiah he's the reigning messiah the father said sit on my right hand until I make all your enemies your footstool so what's the response here in verse 4 some of them believed everybody's not going to believe I wish we could I wish we could force people to believe don't you? I wish we could force people to get saved as I've said before if you did uh, and you force people to heaven they'd say up there I never did want to come here you made me come here and that would make heaven hell wouldn't it? so everybody's not going to believe and consorted with Paul and Silas And uh, look at the the response of the Greeks. So of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. Praise God for the women. All the women said hallelujah. But here we have it again, but the Jews, which believed not, so some believed, and there were Jews that didn't believe, uh, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company and set the whole city in an uproar. And assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And so uh, when they couldn't find uh, the brethren, they beat the life out of uh, Jason. I like what this says in verse 6. These that have turned the world upside down uh, come hither also. How many know they were trying to turn the world upside right, not upside down? Uh, And verse 7 is an interesting when... uh, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. You know, that's one of the great tragedies of the whole Jewish history here. Uh, We have no king but Caesar. And when they said those things, they were cognizant of the fact that God said David would always have a man on the throne, there would always be a king over the house of Judah and over the house of Israel. And so when Zedekiah, the last king, Uh, had his eyes put out and was taken to Babylon by the king of Babylon Uh, the Jews could never reconcile well where's the throne of David where's the king the godly the kingly line of David that was to be here there was to be a king on the throne till Messiah come so they could never understand that and so when they said we have no king but Caesar and crucified shall I crucify your king don't put on the cross his king of the Jews just say he said that you know, so they accepted Caesar as king instead of Jesus as king that was a tragedy of the whole Davidic covenant that they uh, uh, don't like here alright so uh, we see what happened in Thessalonica but out of this we have a church founded and later on we have the great uh, epistles of Paul to the Thessalonians uh, the first epistle on the coming of Antichrist and the second or coming of Christ and the second epistle on the coming of the, uh, of the Antichrist now, we go down to verse 10 here, and the next city we move to is Berea. And uh, the comment on the, on the people in Berea is very good. Uh, in verse 10, we find that the brethren sent Paul and Silas away by, uh, by night. It was safer then than in the daytime. And of course, as usual, they go to the synagogue of the Jews. Now, verse 11 is a real good comment on the people in Berea. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. How many think that was a very noble thing to do? And I think it's a very commendable thing that even though Paul is a prophet, uh, an apostle, Silas is a prophet, and even though they are preaching these things, the Bereans still check the apostles out with the word which all of us should do. We should check the word out for ourselves and, and, and search the scriptures whether these things uh, are so. And so, again, we have response, and so a church is founded here. Uh, many of them believed honorable women. You notice the response of the women, and women are much more responsible. See, some people say, oh, the church is full of a bunch of women. Well, I tell you, women are much more responsible to, uh, responsive to the gospel than us intelligent men. It is very quiet out there. Are you breathing out there tonight? (laughs) Hallelujah, that's better. Okay, more sensitive in heart. And men have to rationalise. We have to filter God through our little minds, our little computer up here. Uh, We're too much head. Women are more heart. How many know your heart and your head should get together anyway? That's why you get married. All right. All right. So honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. Well, praise God, some of the men got in there. But what happens again? The Jews from the Thessalonica, as soon as they heard the Berea has received the gospel, what do they do? That the word of God was preached by Paul. What do they do? They come down and they stir up the people. I mean, wonderful. This is uh, uh, ahead of my notes here. Wherever the apostles went, went they either had a revival or a riot or both well here they have both and so again they have to slip out of town uh, and uh, as it were uh, make out you go and by sea but Silas and Timotheus they are both there but Paul is the hot potato everywhere he went he's too hot to handle and uh, so they got rid of him now I want you to notice something here now. Paul, so you'll notice they're establishing a church in Philippi, list with his disciples there. Troas, the church now established in Philippi, church planting, church planted in Thessalonica, church planted in Berea. Now he goes down to Athens here. Now, as you go through this sermon, um, how will I do this? Let's, let, let's sort of connect this here. He moves to Athens here, and we have the tremendous sermon well, is it tremendous sermon on Mars Hill. And then in chapter 18, he moves to Corinth. He moves down to, or well, up to the city of Corinth. It's up when I was over in the Middle East there. Now, I want you to sort of just glance over the, the high spots here. Now, you'll notice, as I've said before, that any time Paul went into a city where there was a synagogue, he always went to the synagogue first, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. And with the Jews... He always reasoned with them out of the Old Testament Scriptures. They had the uh, Scripture, the writings of the prophets and everything, and he could reason with them out of the historical fulfillment of prophecy by the Lord Jesus. But when he comes to the Gentiles, it seems in most sermons of Paul that I've picked up, he really doesn't quote one verse of Scripture because the Gentiles are not familiar with the sacred writings of the Jews unless they're proselytes, they have their own sacred books. So just glance what uh, happens here. Uh, In verse 16, there is a synagogue in the city, by the way. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, so he says to Timothy and Silas, I better get out of town, and then you guys catch up to me later. So he's there in Athens. His spirit was stirred, actually agitated really agitated uh, with with what he sees when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry or full of idols it says here Uh, and so uh, in verse 17 he's in the synagogue again with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met him and so we have two group of philosophers here uh, in verse 18 the Epicureans let me just uh, read off my notes on this the Epicureans were a sect of philosophers that derived this name from Epicurus uh, BC 342 to 271 a philosopher of Attic descent whose garden at Athens rivaled the ports and the academy his aim was to discover a practical guide to happiness his search was for pleasure not absolute truth and he relied on experience as the test, not on reason. So Epicureans, practical guide to happiness, uh, they're after pleasure, uh, hedonistic uh, philosophy was, not absolute truth. And then you have the next group, uh, uh, well, let me finish on that, from Young, St. Corns, They were atheistic, materialistic, and worshipped the God of pleasure. How many think that you could say that our society is very epicurean atheistic materialistic and worshipping the God of pleasure now there's another group there the Stoics and they are just opposite listen to what Youngson Corden says about them the Stoics were a sect of Greek philosophers who received their name from Stoa a porch of Athens where Zeno taught they were severe and lofty pantheists I mean you know what the Pantheists? Everything was God. God was in all, and all was God, and God was in everything, and affected indifference in all circumstances. Zeno was born at Sidium, a small town in the Isle of Cyprus, about BC 357. He taught at Athens, BC 299, and died uh, BC 263. They were pantheists and worshipped the God of nature. So... While the Epicureans worshipped the God of pleasure, atheistic, materialistic, uh, not believing in God, the Stoics were pantheists, they believed everything was God, and God was everything. Uh, That's the whole thing, worshipping. They worshipped the nature, they worshipped nature and missed the God of nature. They worshipped creation missed the God of creation. And uh, you'll notice what they said about Paul in verse 18. What will this babbler say? The uh, word babbler is seed pecker. The thing is, he did have the seed of the word if they cared to listen, but they didn't. So he, he, he seemed to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. So they ask him, What's this new doctrine? So they take him to the Oropicus. Did I say that right? Something like that, anyway. I have been on Mars Hill. I've actually got a picture of myself because uh, in uh, Athens, they've uh, sort of made a copper plate of the whole of Paul's sermon and put it on Mars Hill. So I stood by it and I said, Amen, Paul, preach it to them. You know, now when you think of Athens, seed of learning, seek of Greek wisdom, philosophy, always out to hear some new thing. And then as you go through Paul's sermon here, and we're told uh, the Athenians and strangers spent their time in nothing else they wanted to either tell or hear some new thing. So Paul goes through his sermon here on the unknown God, and uh, uh, you'll notice he doesn't refer to Christ, he refers to the God of creation, verse 24, God that made the world. And all things therein, seeing he's Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He's not worshipped with men's hands. He doesn't need anything. He gives life to all, breath and all. He's made of one blood all nations. And uh, in him we live and move and have our being. Uh, and, 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 and in verse 28, he even gets into a little bit of Greek philosophy and the poets. He said, even your own poets say we are his offspring. Now you'll see the significance of, uh, of this in a moment when we get into a few, uh, few things uh, from Corinth. So he says, you know, because we're the offspring of God, we shouldn't think the Godhead is like under gold or silver or stone and all these idols that you've got here. The ultimate altar you've got is to, to the unknown God, the God that is unknowable. Well, that's the God I'm declaring unto you. So God, Paul begins with creation, not with the Scriptures in this case. Now, he does end up with this referring to a man, but uh, as as I believe there's some significance here, he doesn't even mention the name of Jesus. Why? Verse 30. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man, now he doesn't even name him here, by that man, whom he hath ordained, you know he must have said it before because in verse uh, 18 he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection but I think there's something uh, missing here as uh, we're going to pick up whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead now what's their response and it looks to me that there is no church founded in Athens Athens was just a fizz, it was a failure and I, I'm going to tell you why I believe why now if you disagree with me, disagree agreeably. Okay, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some uh, huh, Resurrection? Oh, come off it, Paul. I mean, Athens, we're the seed of learning. They needed to play. Uh, they needed to apply the board of uh, education to the seed of learning, didn't they? Did you get that? Are oh, you a bit slow tonight? Okay. Uh, When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, "Ah, we'd like to hear you again on this matter." So Paul departed from among them. However, certain men claimed to him and believed. So just got a couple of names there and a a woman named Damaris and others with him. So just a little group there, but probably the beginning of a possible church. Now, I want you to just go to this next part here. Then I'd like you to go over to Corinthians. So in chapter 18 now, verse 1 through to 17, we have Paul now just moving along to Corinth. Or up to Corinth it was. So in 18, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Now, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 1. And to be very honest with you, there is a difference of opinion uh, uh, about what I'm going to say now. Everybody doesn't agree with me and I really can't understand that can you I mean it's not my fault if I'm right is it can I help being right okay so there is a difference of opinion about this but listen to what I want to submit to you and uh, I hope it clicks in the spirit all right now he's been up in Athens now or down in Athens and he's moved up to Corinth now and uh, what happens here Later on, years later, see it's about AD 53-54 when he goes to Corinth, a few years later, about four or five years later, he writes to the, uh, the epistle to the Corinthian church, and I want you to listen to what he says. Chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. Declaring unto you the testimony of God for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and power and see this is what I believe happened as you just read chapter 1 and chapter 2 here's the mighty apostle Paul, and so now he's been to Athens, and so now he leaves Athens and he goes to Corinth. And what's Paul done in Athens? He's tried to approach the Athenians on their own intellectual trip and fill the things through their minds. So, what does he do? He quotes the wisdom. And we only have a uh, sort of an outline of his sermon, probably. Must have been more than that than just reading it in a couple of minutes. But wisdom, he quotes the Greek poets to them. He appeals to the God of creation, which is great. God of creation uh, and so forth. But, uh, you know, he's on Mars Hill where all the wise guys were and Athens with all its total history. And Paul tries to get them uh, on on their ground. But this is my personal belief that... uh, he said, when I come to you at Corinth, God, Athens was a fizz. I try to approach them. And you know, there's such lessons in this for all of us, saints. Well, you know, when you try to witness to people, I try to witness to people. Often it can be a battle of the mind. It's your mind against their mind. May the best mind win. And uh, so when Paul says, look, when I came to you, I came in fear. Oh, Paul, you? I came in fear And trembling. You know, and in weakness. I, I, you know, I'm just putting it very plain Australian. I just remember how I tried to approach the whole gospel in Athens, wisdom and quoting their poets and up on Mars Hill and the Epicureans and the Stoics. I thought, well, I'll win them. I know the scriptures, you know, I'll fix them. But I came, when, I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or wisdom. I tried all that up there. Declaring unto you the testament of God I determined to know nothing among you Save Christ and him crucified And I was with you in weakness and fear And a much frame. How many can see the picture? He's left Athens and he's up in Corinth And so you sort of have to read the Corinthian epistle Superimpose it on the historical setting there And my speech and my preaching Was not with enticing words of man's wisdom I tried that up and there but in demonstration of the spirit and power. What's the reason? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And then he makes the uh, unbelievable statements here. And uh, I, I personally think Paul's whole thing is Athens and Corinth, Athens and Corinth. What I did there, while I'm doing Corinth. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, some, uh, some verses there. Verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the dispute of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Athens with all its noted uh, thing for wisdom, The wisdom of the Greek philosophers, the Greek world. He says, the world with all its wisdom knows not God. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. Notice he doesn't say by foolish preaching, but by the foolishness of preaching. And see, to the unregenerate and to the unsaved, you know, I mean, they look at us in church and think, what a crazy bunch of people. They come here Sunday by Sunday, morning and night, Wednesday night, action night, sit in a meeting, listen to a guy spouting away, just absolute craziness to the world, isn't it? But it's not to us because it's the power of God under salvation. I'd rather listen to this than listen to all the philosophy that's going out on on Mars Hill out there, wouldn't you? I asked you a question, that had a question mark, wouldn't you? Amen. So the wisdom of God, to please God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ and Him crucified. And see, in Corinth, the cross is central. Christ and Him crucified. Absolute foolishness, stupidity to the Athenians. But I'm, when I came to you, I discerned, I'm not going to do what I did in Athens and trying to get you on Greek philosophy. I'm going to preach the cross. As foolish as that is. And sometimes I've said over the years, if the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men, I'd rather good, trust God's foolishness. Wouldn't you? And he goes on to say, the, stre- the, the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men. I'd rather lean on the weakness of God than the strength of men. Wouldn't you? And so that's where Paul comes here. Listen to it here in verse 23 again. We preach Christ crucified under the Jews as stumbling block. To the Greeks foolishness But unto them which are called Both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God Because the Jews wanted power And Christ the wisdom of God The Greeks wanted wisdom Because the foolishness of God Is wiser than men And the weakness of God Is stronger than men Hallelujah I think that's worth a hallelujah And what's the whole purpose That no flesh should glory in In his presence Christ and him crucified so, uh, how does that click with you? Uh, now, everybody doesn't agree with but I hope you agree with it, that as you read the epistle, and you superimpose there, this is what I did, you can go through my sermon in the, in, in the book of Acts in Athens, but when I came to you, Corinthians, said Christ crucified, that's it. Go back to Acts chapter 18 quickly. So, you sort of need to superimpose the epistles into the historical setting because uh, it's sort of woven in so chapter 18 verse 1 so after these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth then you have to read Corinth into that and when I came to you Corinth I came in weakness and fear and much trembling and I determined to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified so in Corinth he meets Priscilla and Aquila and it's interesting to note that uh, in most of the references pretty well all except one Priscilla the lady is mentioned first. The wife is mentioned first. Uh, she was, seemed to be a teacher. In fact, both of them were teachers. They were tent makers. Again, Paul goes into the synagogue, as we've seen. And finally, Paul has to get out of the synagogue and say, look, your blood's on your own heads. I'm clean. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. So uh, he goes to uh, uh, the um, uh, the house of one named Justice in verse 7 this is he worshipped God and his house joined hard to the synagogue when I was in Corinth uh, in the Middle East a number of years ago with World Map holding uh, some conferences there uh, I went, we went up to Acre Corinth and up on the hill there's the, uh, the temple where the thousand prostitutes or more were and you come down to the, the uh, tanks uh, Corinth being a seaport and uh, they showed us the traditional place of the beamer seat uh, where the, the, the judge would judge the runners and give them their lull, their crown of leaves for a race. And then they took us along the traditional uh, street of where the synagogue was and the house of Crispus. And I was sort of a bit amused about it because I thought, dear, if these Christians were in the house of justice here uh, and singing and worshiping the Lord too loud, it could disturb the synagogue right next to it, you know, except that they met on the Sabbath and the others met on Sunday. So that probably saved the situation. Now, listen to what the Lord does in Corinth here. Crispus, the chief rule of the synagogue, I'm in verse 8, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing uh, believed and were baptized. And again, you have to sort of read what Paul says in his, in his epistle when he writes to them late, uh, later on he says you're divided there's divisions among you and he says uh, when everyone says I'm of Paul I'm of Apollos I'm of Cephas I'm of Christ is Christ divided literally do you tear Christ in pieces was Paul crucified for you and listen to this what would be a ridiculous question if we didn't understand baptism in the triune name or were you baptized in the name of Paul I thank God I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name and I baptised also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptised any, any other. Christ sent me not to baptise, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words like I did in Athens, uh, reading in their lest the cross of Christ. So, people are baptised now. Here in Corinth, the Lord gives him a vision. And in verse 9, uh, the Lord said, Don't be afraid speak. Hold not your peace. I'm with you. No man's going to hurt you in Corinth. You have a pretty rough setting back here. In Listeria you were stoned. Down here you were frustrated trying to go into Bithynia. And in Philippi you got jailed there. Paul, I think you've had enough for a little while. Uh, things will be a bit more peaceful in Corinth. And he said, thanks a lot, Lord. How many know when you become a Christian you've got to read the fine print because at the bottom of where you sign up to serve the Lord Jesus got P.S. I'm out to kill you. So no man will set on you to hurt you. I've got much people in this city. And so 18 months, Paul continued in that, in that uh, city there. And then out of that, we have the tremendous epistles of the 1st and 2nd Corinthian church. And what a church. I'm glad that I wasn't sort of the senior minister of Corinth. But I'm glad in one way that we wouldn't have had those tremendous epistles. How many are glad for those epistles? Alright, so here Paul is brought before Gallio and has to leave. And then we close off this second missionary journey where Paul just has a little stopover in Ephesus and then he returns to his home church in Antioch. Alright, we just have uh, just a uh, couple of other minutes here and uh, I want to put this on the overhead and we'll pick it up in our subsequent session. The rest of the chapter is now from chapter 18, 23, as we see... In verse 22, he saluted the church, went down to Antioch, his home church. After he spent some time there, departed, went all over the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthened the disciples, and then we move on to uh, uh, the third missionary journey. So we find that they go back to Antioch, Galatia and Phrygia, and now what the Lord had forbidden uh, a while before on the second journey of going to Asia Minor and to Bithynia, Now it's God's time. And so Paul comes to Ephesus and uh, we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I think we have time for this now. I trust that you read the Bible a dozen times here. Verse 24, where we, uh, Acts 18, verse 24, where we have Apollos, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, he comes to Ephesus. Now I want you to pick up a sentence here in verse 25. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. And I've underlined this in my Bible. Well, it's all underlined. That's the problem. Knowing only the baptism of John. Now, why does it say that knowing only the baptism of John? Now, Aquila and Priscilla, they explained to him the way of God more perfectly. No chapter division chapter 19 Paul comes to Ephesus and he he's, finds the disciples of John there uh, he feels there's something someone missing in the meeting he said hey have you received the Holy Spirit when or since you believe whatever Greek one you want there they said look we haven't even heard if there be any Holy Spirit well he said uh, let's check out your water baptism and so uh, he said well how were you baptised? They said, we were baptised with John's baptism. Now, the previous section, knowing only the baptism of John, prepares for what's going to happen here in Ephesus. All right, we'll pick this up, but I just want to at least put it on the overhead and uh, gets on the whole matter of, uh, of, of baptism. As Paul talked to them and about uh, John's baptism, they said, well, John baptised unto repentance and uh, telling them that they should believe on Christ who should come after them. So we're told in 19.5 when they heard this they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and Paul laid hands on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now the question that is often asked is well, knowing only the baptism of John why did Paul re-baptize these disciples? And yet the Lord seemed to confirm it because he laid hands on them and uh, they received the Holy Spirit, spoke of tongues, and prophesied. I uh, sound like Like we, we have to finish here. We'll pick this up next time, but I'll just put this on the overhead, just to sort of put it in your mind, and this is where we need to pick up. Because there's something very important here in the distinction between uh, John's baptism and uh, Christian baptism. John's baptism involved repentance. Christian baptism involves the repentant. John's baptism involved remission of sins. Christian baptism is for the remission of sins. John's baptism involved faith in the coming Messiah. Christian baptism involves faith in in Christ Jesus. John's baptism involved confession of being a sinner. And here we have a confession of faith. Uh, John's baptism was by plunging, dipping or immersion beneath the water Christian baptism is by plunging or dipping or immersion beneath the water barrier of the old self-life. So in these respects, John's baptism and Christian baptism are identified. I leave you this question. Wherein lies the difference between John's baptism and Christian baptism? And why did Paul have these people rebaptized? Come back in a couple of weeks' time for this exciting episode. Everybody said Amen. Let's all stand up. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just pray with the material that we've covered tonight. We pray, Lord, that the heart of the message that we've shared tonight will be that we will preach Christ and Him crucified. We thank You, Lord, that it's the cross that is the power of God unto salvation. We pray, Lord, that we'll learn from Paul's experience that as we witness by life or lip to others, Lord, that we'll not just... Have a mind battle and try and use the philosophy and the wisdom of the world, which is foolishness, foolishness to you. But may we use the wisdom of God, which is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of sharing together tonight. Let your presence be with us as, until we gather again in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. I do want to ask you again to remember April and the boys. And remember on Friday And if you can possibly come Friday Nine o'clock I know uh, we would really appreciate that And so would the family Now in Acts chapter 20 The close of Acts chapter 20 Just to uh, remind you of our final session We looked at uh, Paul going to Ephesus And then how he finalised and giving his charge to the elders of Ephesus and how that they wept when, when they were praying together at the close of the chapter and they particularly sorrowed most of all for the words which he spake that they should see his face no more and then they accompanied him to the ship now let's just uh, put the map on the overhead again just to remind ourselves uh, where we've been going in the missionary journeys of Paul because this is the third missionary journey and it's the final, uh, the final part of the journey as we see here So we see how Paul has gone from Antioch right through uh, to Miletus, right through to Philippi and Corinth and back again. And now he's on the way to Jerusalem. That's the issue tonight. So this is the third of his missionary journeys, the final missionary journey. And then from Jerusalem, we find that he moves to Rome. So uh, we want to pick up some thoughts on that. So in in, uh, chapter 21, we find... uh, Let's just pick up... uh, other diagram we he had here so we're leaving here now from Miletus Ephesus going through to Tyre and Caesarea and then uh, to Jerusalem and then from Jerusalem we had the trip to Rome so so far we've covered on the third missionary journey Antioch, Galatia and Phrygia then Ephesus the Ephesian Pentecost and the right caused by Demetrius then Macedonia a quick trip there, Collins short trip there, Philippi short visit to these places Troas, the all-night service and then to Miletus and the farewell to the Ephesian elders. Now tonight we want to look at Paul going to Tyre and Caesarea and then he, uh, to Jerusalem, his arrest and uh, defense there, and then to Caesarea where there's trials and appeal to Rome and then the last chapters of course uh, to his voyage to Rome. So that's the uh, picture we're following now. Now I want you to turn over to uh, as, as sort of as a foundation for Acts chapter 21 and 22 and 23 I want you to turn over to First Thessalonians chapter 5 First Thessalonians chapter 5 Now as we uh, look at what we're going to consider tonight we find there's uh, a difference of opinion amongst the expositors and preachers and teachers today on this area And that's particularly about Paul going to Jerusalem and then his uh, journey to Rome. And uh, some say that Paul was in the will of God. Some say Paul was out of the will of God. So let's just read the uh, verses we want to look at and pick out what we're after here. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and if you're taking down notes or references here verses 15 through to 22. 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 15 to 22. In these verses we have an eightfold exhortation In these verses, there's just two or three I want to pick out, but I'll spell them out first of all. read the passage and then spell it out. Verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Uh, Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things hold fast that which is good and I often add the next little bit throw, that, throw the rest away uh, alright number 22 verse 22 abstain from all appearance of evil now notice the eightfold exhortation and the three points I want you to pick up sort of as foundation for what we're looking at tonight so number one he says don't render evil for evil to any man but uh, follow that which is good so if you rendered evil don't you render for evil for evil you render good return good for evil number two rejoice evermore in spite of circumstances and everything like that rejoice evermore because paul's whole thing is rejoice in the lord not rejoice in your circumstances Uh, number three pray without ceasing so uh, you can't be on your knees all the time like that but there's an attitude of prayer there's a there's always an attitude a prayerful spirit that a person uh, can have Uh, pray evermore pray without ceasing four in everything give thanks I think the other scripture says for everything give thanks but in everything give thanks so regardless of the circumstances have a thankful spirit a thankful attitude for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. so it's the will of God to have a thankful spirit we're living in an unthankful generation a thankless uh, generation number five uh, uh, as these are the ones I want you to look at quench not the spirit number five six despise not prophesies And seven, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. So all that's sort of linked up together there. So quench not the spirit. Now as we're going to see as Paul leaves Ephesus, he goes to Tyre and Caesarea and we have a couple of prophecies that come to him not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul seems to apparently defy the prophecies. Well, I don't believe that. And then they say, no, don't go to Jerusalem. And so people say, because he didn't listen to the prophetic word, and maybe it's significant uh, with us having uh, presbytery and uh, laying in of hands and prophecy and so forth. Uh, that's what we want to explore in this bit. Uh, so uh, the Spirit said, don't go to Jerusalem. And so quench not the Spirit. Don't put out the fire, the word quench uh, has the thought of. Then uh, number six, despise not prophesying so on the surface it looked as if Paul despised the prophecy that came to him in Tyre and Caesarea and then number seven in connection with quenching not the spirit despising not prophecy prophesying prove all things test prove all things hold fast that which is good so that's all in conjunction with uh, the spirit uh, prophesying prove all things and then number seven of course or number eight pardon me is abstain from all appearance of evil so I want to sort of lay this as a foundation that quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Now in the light of that uh, let's go back to the book of Acts Acts chapter 21 Acts chapter 21 Now as Paul continues his journey here after his farewell at charge to the Ephesian elders we come to number 9 here Tyre and Caesarea so I want you to pick up a couple of thoughts here so let's see what happens in Tyre as we sort of you know use this as our base quench not the spirit despise not prophesying uh, prove all things but hold fast that which is good alright Acts 21 and verse 1 it came to pass that after we had gotten from them and had launched we came with a straight course uh, unto Koas. Uh, and the day following unto Rhodes and from thence unto Patara, finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia uh, we went aboard and set forth and when we discovered Cyprus we left it on the left hand and sailed it into Syria and landed at Tyre okay so here we are we've looked at our map here landed at Tyre and there the ship was done laid a burden now finding certain disciples finding disciples in verse 4 we tarried there seven days and listen to what happened who said to, the, to Paul through the Spirit so these disciples, as Paul's there, uh, seven days, just a week, and I'm sure he's a very busy man, uh, not messing around and going for a misguided tour there, but uh, with the disciples there, confirming them, strengthening them. So they said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. So we, we, we would assume that uh, when they said to him through the Spirit here that this was a prophetic word that come to Paul, uh, not to go to Jerusalem, And uh, however the prophecy came As we'll see see the next illustration That somehow through the Spirit They said to Paul You're not to go to Jerusalem Or maybe they said When they heard the prophetic word uh, Don't go to Jerusalem All right. now Paul doesn't seem to respond in verse 5 We accomplished those days We departed and went our way They brought us on our way With wives and children Till we were out of the city And we kneeled down on the shore and prayed So prayer and kneeling down so we took our ship and they returned home now after he leaves Tyre so said a brief touch there just for a week in Tyre and the prophetic word or some word comes to him through the spirit not to go to Jerusalem now we go to verse 8 and he comes to Caesarea let's see what happens in Caesarea and when we had finished our course from Tyre we came to uh, Ptolemaeus and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day so one day stop over there the next day Uh, we that were of Paul's company departed and came to Caesarea now very interesting little section here in the Caesarean scene we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist so we've seen Philip as a deacon way back in Acts 7 and uh, then we see him though he's not specifically called an evangelist Acts 8 we see him in evangelistic ministry but here he's distinctly called Philip the Evangelist So Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, so we have no mistake about that, and abode with him. Now Philip has a good family. He's got four daughters, uh, virgins, and they prophesied. Notice they were not prophetesses. They did prophesy, but doesn't call them prophetesses, and we'll see the contrast in a moment. So now as they're staying there here in Caesarea certain days, what happened? There came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus, and we've heard of Agabus before way back in Acts chapter 11 when he came down and prophesied of the the famine that was to be and the the, uh, Gentiles took up a a financial offering for the Jews and Agabus is a proven prophet so Agabus come down and it must have been a pretty uh, pretty uh, solemn thing he came down uh, from Judea and when he was come he took Paul's girdle so imagine Paul standing there I won't take off my belt just, uh, I think my pants are tied up but took off Paul's girdle and he bound it round his ha- own hands and feet and he gives a prophetic word and he says thus saith the Holy Spirit so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles now he's already had somehow through the Spirit no doubt a prophetic word in Tyre say don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. Now, in Caesarea, Agabus the prophet. And it's interesting, it must have been a, a good little meeting here because you've got uh, Philip the evangelist, Agabus the prophet, Paul and apostles. So three of the 5 ministries here, apostle, prophet, and evangelist, and then four daughters of prophecy. Now, you'll notice in this situation, God did not use the four daughters who had a gift of prophecy but were not prophetesses, he did not use those four daughters to prophesy to Paul. Here Philip is an evangelist and here he has four daughters that prophesy but God sends all the way from Judea way down here to Caesarea a prophet himself in the office of a prophet and uh, a proven prophet and in a symbolic action takes the girl, wraps it around his own hands and uh, uh, feet and says this is what the Holy Spirit says this is what's going to happen to the man uh, who owns this so now what would you have done just on the surface if you hear a prophecy like that you would have done exactly what they did here when we heard these things both we and they of that place besought him not to go to Jerusalem now I would have done but you see here's the crux of the thing uh, and, 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 and uh, with the uh, special meetings we're having it's possible to hear a prophecy and misinterpret it. How many you know that? And personally, so I disagree agreeably with those exposers who say, well, Paul should have hearkened to this and he disobeyed the Lord and he wouldn't have got into the trouble in Jerusalem and been arrested Or all that if he had to listen to the prophetic word. So they say Paul went to Jerusalem out of the will of God. After what I'm sharing with you tonight, I believe Paul went to Jerusalem in the will of God and I'm not saying that the prophetic word was wrong I believe what was wrong was not the prophecy but their interpretation of the prophecy now you'll notice here that in verse uh, 11 nowhere in the prophetic utterance does the prophet say uh, Paul you're not going to Jerusalem all he's saying as he takes his girl wraps it around his hands and feet he said this is what's going to happen to the man that owns this now he doesn't say don't go The other one's up in in Tyre. They say, oh, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go. And I'm assuming this here because of the second one. So Tyre and Sidon, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word be established. Two places give this prophetic word, what's going to happen to the man? At Jerusalem. So they, I don't believe the prophecy is wrong. I believe Agabus is simply saying, this is what's going to happen to the man that owns this. There's no word. Does Agabus, as a prophet, say, don't go to Jerusalem. But they misinterpret the prophecy and this often happens in the laying out of hands and prophecies Uh, I shouldn't digress but uh, maybe I had prophetic word years ago about being a missionary to a certain country and uh, came under guilt every time anybody came from that country and I heard I'd flock out to the altar went to so many altar calls wouldn't matter I went to every country in the world on an altar call sometimes Uh, but I misinterpreted the word and I went back to the prophets who had prophesied over me and said, no, what does this word mean to you? I've lived, lived under guilt for years because I did go to that country once and I won't say where and I kissed the ground when I got out of it. I couldn't get out of the place quick enough. But see, I and both the prophets said to me, two different men said, Kevin, we believe you have misinterpreted the prophetic word and this is what the Lord was saying through it went back to the original prophet in my case and uh, that, that lifted the whole guilt but my whole point here is that you can misinterpret the prophetic word alright I uh, didn't say prophetic word, prophetic word ok so let's go on here and when we heard these things both we and they of that place besought him not to go to Jerusalem so you have verse 4 don't go to Jerusalem verse 12 don't go to Jerusalem when they hear these prophecies so Paul said What mean ye to weep and to break my heart? I am ready not to be bound only, like uh, Agabus has done with my girdle here, but I'm ready to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, now, why wouldn't Paul be persuaded? Did he have a martyr complex? Was he a stubborn, mulish, bow-legged man, as history tells us? We ceased, saying, okay, the will of the Lord be done. Now, I want you to uh, look at some other scriptures here and look at the other side and just say why I believe this so here we have on one side the prophetic word and uh, their interpretation of it so the prophetic word we have number one at Tyre and then uh, number two at Caesarea here how do you spell Caesarea this chalk can never spell Anyway, you know what I mean, okay, Caesarea. Okay, now, up here in Tyre, the Spirit, through the Spirit, and I am assuming this, that the Spirit told him what was going to happen, and they said, don't go to Jerusalem. Now the Spirit speaks through a prophet, in this case, and he doesn't say, don't go to Jerusalem. He says, this is what's going to happen to the man. All right, now, that's the prophetic word. Now, what has to be balanced out here is... um, is Paul's word, the word that the Lord has spoken to him so I want you to follow this with me here and, uh, and then at least even, even if you don't agree with me you'll disagree agreeably. So I want to put some scriptures here so Tyre Acts chapter 21, Caesarea Acts 21 now let's go through on some scriptures here. We'll go back to Acts chapter 9 Acts chapter 9 and I want to give you about one, two, three, four, about 6 scriptures here at least uh, showing That the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord And and what's happening here So Acts chapter 9 Now here we have Saul's conversion As we've been through on previous previous occasions And we have Ananias And my own personal belief is That Ananias was a prophet I don't think it's just any little Tom, Dick and Harry uh, Floating around here so in verse 12, uh, the Lord's talking to him. Once you go to the street, call straight, Saul's praying, and he's seen a vision, uh, and, and in the vision, a man named Ananias coming, putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. Now, under Ananias, Paul gets his eyes healed, scales fall from his eyes, so he has physical healing there. He baptizes him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives him a prophetic word about, in fact, the initial prophetic word here. Is Paul's whole destiny, and we're coming particularly to the chapters involved here. So uh, go down to verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. He's a chosen vessel unto me. Uh, number one, to bear my name before the Gentiles. Number two, and kings. And number three, the children of Israel. Um, let's see where I've got this here. I'll just put this on and off for now because we'll be finishing up on this but the first prophetic word that Ananias gives him and as I said I personally believe he's a prophet uh, this is what's happening the word is that he's going to go to the Gentiles minister to the Gentiles uh, then number two to the kings or to the rulers and then number three to the children of Israel well now the chapters under consideration are dealing with that so we'll come back to that in a moment let's say number one uh, to the Gentiles, number 2, to the kings or realists, number 3, to the children of Israel. Verse 16, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And we've already emphasized the use of the name here. Verse 14, bind those that call on thy name. Verse 15, a chosen vessel to bear my name. Verse 16, suffer for my name's sake. So uh, that's exactly what happened. So first scripture here is Acts 9:15, where we sort of have a uh, 15, 16 we have an outline of Paul's uh, three phases of his ministry to the Gentiles, to the kings and to the children of Israel All right. now let's go to the next word Acts 19 and I want you to look at a couple of verses here so Acts 19 Acts 19 and uh, verses 21 and 22 now listen to the language here Acts 19 verse 21-22 after these things this is where Paul is in, at Ephesus there after these things were ended Paul purposed in the Spirit now is he purposing in himself or is he purposing in the Spirit by the Holy Spirit Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem so he purposed in the Spirit I'm going to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. So that's our order there. That's, uh, Jerusalem, and then his trip to Rome. That's what the last few chapters of Acts are about. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. So now, first mention Paul purpose in the spirit to go to Jerusalem, Acts 19, verse 21, 22. Now let's go to Acts chapter 20 next reference we have Acts chapter 20 and verses 22 to 24 Acts 20 and verse 22 to 24 and Paul talking to the elders of Ephesus now and now behold I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem now you'll notice that he purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem and after I've been to Jerusalem I must also see Rome now is Paul just planning this of himself as you know going as a tourist no something in the spirit here so verse 22 now behold I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem not knowing the things that shall befall me there save that the Holy Spirit witnesseth in every city saying that bonds and afflictions wait for me or abide me so he knew in the Spirit, he didn't know what would happen in Jerusalem but he, he, he said, I'm bound in the Spirit and you know sometimes we use that expression look I just feel bound in my Spirit that I've got to do this I, I just feel bound in the Spirit that I've got to do this uh, and he says all I know, I don't know what's going to happen when I go to Jerusalem all I know is that the Holy Spirit has warned me way back under Ananias that bonds and, and afflictions abide me but he said none of these things move me and I don't count my life dear to myself so I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel, the grace of God. And you see, what is, what is happening here, the head of the church is, you know, running the business, is He's building the church, and you see, the book of Acts uh, begins with Jerusalem, but it ends with Rome. So from Jerusalem to Rome, the gospel is going to go, and Jerusalem is the center the, the religious capital, and Rome is the political so there's going to be converts in Rome here. Gospel has gone to Rome through Jews and somehow in Jerusalem to Rome, those two cities, uh, Jerusalem and Rome. Rome, the power, the uh, crucified Christ in Jerusalem, Jerusalem that rejects Christ and the apostles, scattering of the disciples and the gospel, the seed of the word, and now it's going to end up in Rome, the political, so that ecclesiastical political thing here, Rome on seven hills and all that Rome became to mean New Testament Babylon, spiritually and so he says look I go bound in the Spirit so he purposed in the Spirit, now let's go to our third scripture, Acts chapter 22 Acts 22, in between we have Acts 21 of course don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem, but Paul they said well the will of the Lord be done so next one is Acts 22 and verses uh, we'll pick up in verse 12 and here Paul is declaring his conversion here in this chapter so verse 12 and one Ananias a devout man according to the law having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there came unto me and stood unto and said unto me brother Saul receive your sight and the same hour I looked up upon him. So, miracle as the scales fell from his eyes. Then, listen to the prophetic word that comes to Ananias, uh, which is not said back here, but you have to bring all the, all the uh, chapters together here. So, Acts 22 now we're looking at, and the word of Ananias. We have some of it said there, but Paul gives further a declaration of that word here. And he said, and you can hear it coming in prophetic, The God of our fathers have chosen thee, that you should know his will number one and two see that just one and three should hear the voice of his mouth number four you will be his witness unto all men of what you have seen and heard so the prophetic word that's, that's the prophet, a prophetic word over him now tarry, why tarryest thou arise and be baptized wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord and it came to pass when I was come again to Jerusalem even while I prayed in the temple I was in a trance Now listen to this So he On one of his visits to Jerusalem there uh, Which we see back in the earlier chapters When Barnabas introduced him To the apostles of Jerusalem They didn't trust him So he said While I prayed in the temple I was in a trance And I saw him saying unto me Seeing who? Calling on the name of the Lord I saw the Lord And what did the Lord say to him? Saying unto him Unto me Make haste And get thee quickly out of Jerusalem For they will not receive thy testimony concerning me so now here in Jerusalem so the Lord Jesus is talking to Paul and he's saying look get out of Jerusalem quickly they're not going to receive a testimony now what's Paul's response to the Lord here and I said Lord they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee and when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and I kept the raiment of them that slew him And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. And he's testifying there, they gave him audience unto this word. As soon as they heard the word Gentiles, they just went wild. They said, Away with such a fellow. It's not fit they should live. They cast their clothes off threw dust in the air. Just absolute chaos. Wherever Paul went, there was either a revival or a riot. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23. And we'll pick up in verse uh, verse 11. And this is the word of the Lord Jesus to Paul again now in Acts 22 and uh, 23, Paul is now in Jerusalem, and there's been this riot here, and he's brought before the council, and he's testifying before the council here. And so what happens? Uh, in verse 11, Acts 23 verse 11 and these are the words of the Lord Jesus I know that because it's in read in my Bible too ok and the night following the Lord stood by him and said be of good cheer Paul now he doesn't say to Paul look you should have listened to the prophecy that came to you in Tyre. you should have listened to Agabus the prophet there they told you not to go to Jerusalem you should have left, uh, listened to them you're out of the will of God this is your own problem no he doesn't say that and that's the time Jesus would have said it as you say be a good cheer cheer up Paul the worst is yet to come no for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem oh here it is now so must thou bear witness also at Rome now that's the Lord Jesus speaking so Jesus himself is saying to Paul look You've borne witness of me. So what Paul is feeling back here, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. I purpose in my heart and my spirit to go to Jerusalem. Now the Lord confirms it all. Okay, you've borne witness of me at Jerusalem. They're not going to accept your witness, but I want you to go back to Jerusalem, the very place I was crucified, the 12 apostles were rejected. You are my apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, You must bear witness of me at Jerusalem. They're not going to receive it but just like you have born witness of me at Jerusalem uh, you're going to bear witness of me at Rome now see people say that Paul was if he had never gone to Jerusalem then he wouldn't have been arrested and then he wouldn't have had to appeal to Caesar and go to Rome for his trial and he wouldn't have ended up in Roman prisons Paul missed the will of God how many can see my reasoning here I believe Paul was in the will of God and, uh, and that what I believe happened now I don't believe the prophetic word was wrong here What I all hear, what I believe is that they misinterpreted the prophetic word And so that's a big lesson for us Is when we hear the prophetic word now How do I interpret, what's the proper interpretation of this Because in my own experience I've had a lot of prophecy over myself over years Enough to take me to heaven and back And I don't need any more at the moment But I have misinterpreted at times that prophetic word Now let's go to Acts chapter 27 Last scripture here Got it down on my notes for some reason. Yes, Acts chapter 27, and you can put verses uh, 20, Acts 27, and verse 23 through to 25, 23 through to 25. Okay, so listen to the last word we have about it. Uh, the having the shipwreck on the way to Rome here, and the midnight hour, uh, the 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 Lord comes to Paul anyway. So listen to Acts. 27 and pick up in verse I'll pick up in verse 21 but after long abstinence Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said sirs you should have hearkened unto me you know the place is getting wrecked the things falling apart and he'd already warned them that there was going to be trouble but they believed in fact go back to verse 11 Uh, it's interesting nevertheless the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul well They believed the master and the owner of the ship, uh, but Paul knew the master and the owner of the seas. So verse 21 again, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete, and to have suffered this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall uh, be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, although God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, in contrast to verse 11, where you believe the master and owner of the ship, wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, I believe God. It's great, isn't it? the midst of a storm, I believe God that will be even as what's told me. And so that's God confirming so Paul you've born witness of me at Jerusalem you're going to go to Rome I'm going to be a shipwreck or not doesn't make any difference I'm going to get you to Rome you'll get a free ticket to Rome that's all instead of you paying your fare I'll have Rome pay your fare because you're a prisoner and sometimes God does nasty things like that have anybody experienced that? ok let's go back to Acts chapter twenty. 21, 22, somewhere in there. Alright, so at least, I hope you understand my line of reasoning, so my whole thing there is quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good that's the sort of the underlying principle here so I believe these uh, people at Tyre and Caesarea Agabus had a true prophetic word but I believe that the disciples misinterpreted and said don't go to Jerusalem but Paul said no I'm not going to be persuaded I believe I know the will of God and you see when the laying of hands or prophecy comes to people we must know the will of God it's, it's, I've found over the years it's been amazing how many people know the will of God for my life Anybody know what I'm talking about? I say, look, God knows my address. He knows where I live. As far as I know, I have an open heart to do his will. So I don't think God is going to give uh, my will, his will for my life to you without me. I remember one time years ago, a brother wanted me to go to New Zealand. And uh, I didn't believe it was the will of the Lord to go to New Zealand. And he said, uh, send a telegram Book your passage to New Zealand Such and such and such a date, have a good trip And I was just shaken like that Because I didn't feel it was the Lord And then eventually I, I wrote back and said I don't feel it's the will of the Lord And when I talked to him he said Well, if you had have said yes I would have taken it as the will of God for you But when you said no, I took that as the will of God I said, marvellous how everybody knows The will of God for me but myself Well, Paul knew the will of God so we have to watch we don't misinterpret alright now just for our last few moments here let's go to what's happening here so from the first prophetic word over Paul that he would uh, uh, be a witness to the Gentiles to the kings and to the children of Israel this is what's happened in the last part which is given over to Paul Acts 13 to 20 so uh, Acts chapters 13 to 20 number one he's being that witness to the Gentiles and we see the the churches on the three missionary journeys that have been established so that's all Acts 13 to 20, 20, 20. now number two uh, that's sort of next here but uh, we'll, we'll go, go in this order to the children of Israel Acts 22 and 23 that's what's happening now because Paul goes to Jerusalem and uh uh, when there's an upheaval in the temple because they thought he'd brought an Ephesian into the temple there was just an uproar in the city but uh, as Paul was arrested there Paul says look can I speak to the people and so he speaks to the people Acts 22, 23 is Paul's testimony there and giving the account of his conversion again we have actually three accounts of Paul's conversion in, uh, in the book of Acts and all of them need to sort of be uh, paralleled together because each of them gives some details uh, that the other one doesn't give, he's just giving a fuller exposition of it. And then, of course, Acts chapter 24, 25, 26 is uh, Paul's testimony before kings. So before Paul goes to Rome, he fulfills that prophetic word, you'll be my witness to the Gentiles, to the children of Israel, and to kings. So Acts chapter 24, his testimony before Felix. Acts 25, his testimony before Festus. And Acts 26, his testimony before Agrippa. And in each of those cases, Paul basically uh, uh, gives his testimony of his conversion here. I want you to go to um, Acts chapter 24 as we finish here. Or Acts 20, yes, Acts 20, Acts 20. Uh, Acts, uh, which one am I after here? Oh, Acts chapter 21, I need just to make a comment here. These are questions that are asked. When Paul uh, gets to Jerusalem, in verse 18, uh, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders who were present. So in the first chapters, it was Peter and the elders, or Peter and the apostles. Now Peter has had to split the scene, because his life's in uh, threat. Now it's James and the elders. So the set man, the senior man, James, and then the plurality of the eldership for balance here. So uh, they tell him and say, look, there's thousands, verse 20, thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they're all zealous of the law. Which they had have been zealous of Jesus. And they're informed that you teach the Jews among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying, so Don't circumcise your kids, don't keep the customs, and so the multitude's gonna come. So this is what we want you to do, verse twenty three paraphrasing. We've got four men which have taken a vow, and I want you to take them and purify yourself with them and be in charges that they may shave their heads. Uh, you know. So Paul bald headed Paul now. uh, in verse 26 then Paul took the men and the next day purifying himself with them entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them now the question is asked this why does Paul take this vow that he doesn't believe in why does he go through the whole purifying process uh, and, and that an animal sacrifice be offered for them when he doesn't believe it well, remember what our principle was from 1 Corinthians 9. To the Jew, I became as a Jew. To those under the law, as under the law. To those without law, as without law, but not without law to God. So Paul, all through, you know, he circumcises Timothy. He doesn't circumcise Titus. He takes a vow here. He accepts an animal sacrifice. Even though Christ has died on the cross, the veil has been rent. God's finished with the temple. What is Paul doing this all for? only reason I can understand is what Paul says later on. Look, I became all things to all men, if by any means I could save some. So Paul did his part, but at the end when he writes his epistles, and this is interesting, how you know, as we finish, when Paul gets to Rome, it's like the Lord said to Paul, OK, Paul, you've been flitting around the country long enough. I've got to have some letters written. And the only way I can get it done is stick you in prison and so when Paul's in prison we have the famous prison epistles Ephesians, Colossians and Philemon and then later on we have the pastoral epistles Timothy, 1st and 2nd and Titus and it's just like the Lord, the head of the church said okay Paul, you have fulfilled all this your ministry is coming to an end but I need some inspired epistles written and you're too busy looking after the churches here so I'm going to give you a forced holiday in prison all expenses paid and that will give you a chance to write some letters so we have these famous epistles what a challenge Paul is to us as a man of God isn't he our time's up let's all stand Father we just uh, bring our hearts at the close of this service pray Lord that uh We will just always be challenged by Paul's example and his total commitment to the will of God, regardless. Pray, Lord, that uh, these things will be written deep into our hearts by the Spirit of God, who is the finger of God, and that, Lord, none of us have suffered anything compared to what your servant Paul did. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're the head of the church and that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and that you just ordered Paul's life amongst the Gentiles, amongst the kings, amongst the children of Israel, and then locked him up in prison to give us these infallible, inspired epistles, the prison epistles. Thank you, Father, for this example. We pray that your word will be food to our hearts and to our lives and fall upon good ground and bring forth fruit unto eternal life. Bless us, Lord, now until we gather again. We ask it in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.